Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Let's go. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. There we go. I'm super nervous. We're used to um, lots of noise, you know, because we work with kids, so yeah. talk, they're talking you know. while we're talking, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, it's you got to, like, we had to, like, get the parent glare down, you know? So it's okay. You just talk, have fun with us. It's going to be a good time. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're so glad. <laughs> hey, we're so glad you guys uh, invite us up here. Um, excited to be a part of G- three and a half months now. Let's go. Yeah. Free church. Okay. Um, yeah, we're excited to be with you this morning. We're in our fundamentals series. This is what that word would look like if you were reading it. And um, we're excited to be with you. We're talking about Noah, that guy right there in the middle. We asked if they would put him in the middle for us, and they did that. That's just a joke. It's okay. Um, But yeah, we're so excited to talk about Noah um, with you guys and revisit the story of what it really means. Maybe you've heard the story in Sunday school Um, Or even if you're not familiar, if you didn't grow up in church, the story, the flood narrative of a flood happening on this earth is one that's told um, even if you're not a Christian. Maybe the most famous one besides uh, the one in the Bible is uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, which talks about a flood happening in the earth, but there's just um, several accounts of a flood taking place. So we're going to look at um, the one that is recorded in the Bible. We believe that it is the true, infallible Word of God, and we're going to look at that this morning and maybe um, get a different perspective um, than what happened. I mean, how many? What do you guys remember from Noah? Um, and if you, if, if when you were little, right? Like uh, the rainbow and that the animals were in pairs, right? That yep. And there was a okay. Boat. There was a and there was a boat. Did you guys remember the boat as well? <laughs> okay. So yeah. So. Um, now, many of us um, are not Hebrew scholars, but the word Noah in Hebrew means rest. It's the word for rest. So this guy's name was Rest. And so we find this guy named Rest in Genesis. The narrative starts um, in chapter 6, about half the way through. There's something going on in the beginning. And then we get to Genesis 6, 5 through 6. And it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, not like he was excited about it, but there was like a lot of it, um, was great in the earth. And every intent of the thought of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So God is looking at humanity. We're just a few chapters after the fall of man that we talked about a few weeks ago. If you've been with us in the fundamental series, we covered creation. We've covered sin. Last uh, week, we had an awesome message from Miss Corey talking about the walls of Jericho and Rahab's faith. Um, it was incredible. And I mean, we're even excited about next week. I know what's going on then. But today, as we talk about Noah, we see that God was grieved. And many of us think of this flood narrative um, and we think of judgment. But a lot of times we think of something that's not in the text. We think of God's judgment and we pair it with God's anger. But God's anger is not mentioned. We actually don't see any anger from God until Exodus 4, the next book. So Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 4 is the first time in the Bible we see God's anger. God's anger is not mentioned, but it is mentioned that God grieved. There's a quote from Dr. Tim Mackey. He co-founded a thing called The Bible Project. It's 
one of my favorite resources, um, and he said God's judgment in this story is to relax his ordering power and to give humans over to where they came from and where they're going to, which is back to the dust. It's to remove the ordering power from the cosmos and allow creation to collapse on itself again. That's where the exile from Eden when they left the garden and the flood story, which are the first two judgment stories we see in the Bible, and that's what they're trying to tell us about the way that God judges. It's to hand people over to the outcome of their decisions. And we really see that in this story. We see God recognizing that, as it said in Genesis 6, that man was continually evil in his own heart, and God is giving them over to their own evil ways. Um, And then we've got another quote. It's from uh, Daniel Hawk, and he said, God ruins an already ruined creation, and in doing so creates conditions for a reordering and renewal to take place. And I think that's an important part, that God was setting us up for reordering and renewal. I just had PTSD when she snapped. It was like my mom was in the room. I was like, <laughs> I was like am, I, am I in trouble? So she's snapping me in church all the time. So I, I just recognized it immediately. Uh, but God is setting up a reordering and a renewal to take place. This, this theme of judgment is so that we can have rest. It's no accident that that's what Noah's name means in Hebrew. They're showing us that this is a story of God providing rest through the rest of the world, like to the rest of the world through the judgment and removal of sin. Mm-hmm. So as we get into God's grief for humanity, God allowed the waters that he controlled to relax and take over the earth. But today we want to talk to you about obedience first. Obedience. Sometimes it's hard to be obedient, and Noah is building a boat. He's building a boat. Has anyone in here ever built a boat? Okay, no boat builders in here. Well, let me tell you. God asked Noah to build the boat, and then in chapter 6, a couple later, it says, and he did according to Noah, all that God commanded him. God said, build this boat. He gave very specific commands, and Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then in 7.5, it says, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. That word all really jumps out. He didn't just partway do it. He was sold out and did all that God commanded him. But oftentimes, I think us as humans, we talk ourselves out of obedience We talk ourselves out of it. It's really easy to not obey, whether it's like a parent or like the Holy Spirit, like telling us to do something. It's really cool to not obey sometimes. That's how it feels. It's like, it'd be cool if I just did what I wanted to. And I think think what we really see from Jesus is he did not say that. When Jesus talked about freedom, he talked about living in the presence of God, and that's what freedom is. He didn't say someone not being in charge of you is what freedom looks like. He said the fact that God is in charge of you and you can choose to do his will instead of your own, that's what true freedom looks like. But sometimes we talk ourselves out of it, whether it's someone telling us to do something, whether it's the Holy Spirit. Man, God tells Noah to build this boat and Noah isn't like, I'm not good enough. Sometimes, how many of you guys have ever felt not good enough? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you're willing, I've felt not good enough before. And Noah could have thought, well, I don't know about my boat building skills, God. I'm not exactly building a lot of boats. Um, but he, he said, I'm gonna do all that the Lord commanded me. 
And then we have this idea that it had never rained on the earth before, before the flood. That's something that a lot of scientists are sure of. And so when you read the narrative, it says that the floodwaters came and the doors of heaven were open and it rained on the earth. But Noah had never seen this rain before. Like the idea of rain was foreign. So when God tells me he's going to flood the earth, he's like, I'm not so sure about that. No, but he did all that God commanded. But how many of us have been in a place where it's like, all right, God, if I obey you, are you really going to do this thing? Are you going to do what you said you would do. And then there's also another reason why we don't obey, the fear of not measuring up, the fear of what people will think about us. So if Noah is thinking, maybe in some disbelief, is it even going to rain? How is, it, how is the earth even going to flood? He may be thinking, hey, what are other people going to think about me if I'm building a boat and it's never rained before? But I think the most important part in obedience in this story is that Noah did all that he commanded him. It wasn't, I'm not good enough, or is God telling me to do this, or what will people think of me? He had such confidence in God that he did it. He didn't even say, okay, well, maybe somebody else will build this boat God's talking about. He did what God called him to do. And I think what I want us to recognize is that obedience is not just knowing what's right. It's knowing who is right. And if God really has what's best for us, if Jesus meant it when he said, not even my will, but your, your will be done, Father. If Jesus is saying that to the Father, and he says this in John 17, if, if, if Jesus really firmly believed that, how much more do we need to believe that who controls our future is so much more than if we should obey? Instead of thinking about the consequences, what would it look like if we just actually did all that God commanded us? Yeah, so good. So if obedience is trust in the one we allowed to lead us, then that means that if we don't obey, then we don't really trust the one who's leading us. That we don't really trust that God who's leading us, asking us to walk in faith, to walk out obedience, that he really has the best in store for us. That we worry that maybe God is holding out on us. Maybe he's not leading us towards what's best. And we start to to shift our gaze off of the Lord and onto other people, right, to the world around us, I'm thinking like social media, I'm thinking friends, family, you know, we see social media, beautiful vacations and perfect homes and perfect families and we think, you know, maybe if I shifted my gaze and I controlled my own life, maybe I can make it look more like that. You know, maybe, maybe this walk that I'm doing with God, maybe he's not taking me towards the best. And so, and so we leave obedience because we don't trust that God really does have the best in store for us. And we saw that just a couple weeks ago, right, with Adam and Eve. The reason they took the apple was because they believed the lie that God wasn't, didn't have what's best for them, that God was holding something out from them. And, and they believed the lie that if they took the apple that there was something better for them in store, but really God was protecting them, right, from death and from sin. And so we have to believe Um, We have to truly believe that God really does have the best in store for us, that he's taken us to green pastures, that he has a purpose and a plan for our lives, that he sees what's ahead, even if we can't see it right now in the moment. Um, And so we just have to take those steps of faith. Um, And so my first question to us is, do we really, really, truly believe that God has the best for us? Do you really believe that God wants the best for you, that he has the best things in store for you? Um, And Noah did. And that's why he walked out obedience. He had people that were, you know, making fun of him 
Um, and he, he was all alone in his boat building, right? And he had a couple of his family members, and otherwise everyone else was pointing fingers, thinking he was so crazy. Um, but he walked out obedience so faithfully. But what we see next is that obedience is not always easy. I'm sure most of us know that. Um, if you've walked out obedience, if you've been called by the Holy Spirit, or even if your mom or dad has asked you to do something, it is not always the fun, easy, comfortable thing to do, right? I always tell my kids, I always go to the cleaning the room example. But like, you know, cleaning your room, your parent asks you to clean your room, like that's not easy or fun, um, but it's what we're supposed to do. So what we'll see in a minute is that life in the boat is hard. Life in the boat is really hard. And as Noah walked out obedience, it wasn't easy, it wasn't comfortable, it required a lot of work, a lot of perseverance, a lot of struggle, he lost a lot of friends, and Noah and his family had to face a lot of fears and scary circumstances in the midst of their boat, right? They had to really believe that God was with them in every moment, um, and when they didn't, if they took their eyes off of the Lord, then I'm sure um, that a lot of fears and anger and frustration flooded in. And so we see in Genesis 7, 13 through 17, if y'all are kind of following along, you can read with me, um, but we're going to continue the story here. It says, on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. So all the birds and the animals and the people. And they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of flesh, of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life and those who entered. Male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in and the flood continued for 40 days on the earth and the waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. So this is the part of the story that most of us probably know right from childhood that the animals went in and the family went in and then the waters rose and for 40 days and 40 nights, right, it rained um, and they were just floating along top of the earth there. Um, but you guys asked a kid's pastor to come on stage, so I need your help. So y'all get out your phones, your calculators, unless you're a math genius, then you can just use your brains. I actually really like math. I'm just not very good at it anymore. Um, <laughs> haven't really practiced that recently. So if you are ready, are you guys ready? Okay, you got your calculators. I'm going to start listing out the number of days for different things that happened on the ark, okay? So every time I say a number, you're just going to keep adding those numbers, those days up. So here we go. 150 days for the rain and floods. 74 days for the waters to subside. 40 days after the waters lowered, Noah sent out a raven and it flew back and forth until the water dried up. Seven days after the raven, Noah sent out the dove, but there was still water and it had nowhere to land. Seven days after that, he sent the dove a second time and it returned to Noah with an olive leaf. Seven days after that, Noah sent the dove for the final time and it didn't return. 29 days after the dove, Noah removed the covering from the ark and found the surface to be dry. 57 days later, Noah, his family, and the animals disembarked from the ark as God had told them to. All right, how many days did you guys get all together? Nice. 371. Y'all, that's over a year. A year that they were on the boat. Okay, be really honest. Did, you actually, did anyone know this? Did anyone know this? Wow. Yeah, a couple, maybe like you one or two. I always think of the 40 days and 40 nights. I always think of 40 days. Like, it's a rough month. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Month. I was like, yeah. A whole year. A whole year. Yeah, I was telling first service, I was like, I really feel for these young girls. Um, first, they had to tell their parents that their father-in-law was building a boat um, and that they were going to get on it. And then they had to be on the boat with their in-laws for over a whole year. Now, my in-laws are great. Because my wife's with me, and I think they're watching right now. Yeah. But I can imagine that for some of you guys, it would be really hard to be on a boat with your in-laws for over one year. Yeah. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. I'm just... All right. Well, that's going to be a conversation later. No clapping. Started a fight. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. 371 days over a year. That is insane. That's not what they tell you in Sunday school. So, Um, but... 371 days. And I feel like now we can kind of relate a little bit thanks to our lovely COVID time, right? The, the good old days of quarantine. So most of us, when quarantine happened a couple of years ago, we were kind of having a good time for a couple of weeks. Like we were like, oh yeah, we're going to be home, you know, a little vacation from work. I'm going to clean the house, do some laundry, hang out with the family. It's going to be great. Um, Carson and I, we actually, the day of that COVID like really hit hard was the day he proposed to me. So he like called my work. He asked for if I could have a day off. And so I was told I got the day off. And there's I called no, Carson. There's no correlation between the two things. Well. <laughs> it didn't happen because I proposed, I don't think. No. <laughs> there's not a correlation. No. <laughs> so I called Carson. I was so excited. I was like, Carson, like I got the day off work. Like let's go do something fun. And so he was like, wow, cool. Like, yeah, let's go on a date. And so he took me out and it was really sweet. He took me to camp. Quick promo. Yeah, quick promo. This is your 30-second ad. Camp, you have to sign up today. So if you're not signed up for youth camp, I proposed to my wife there. So obviously it's, it's special. I can't guarantee you'll meet your spouse there, but I'd love for you to go. Okay, thanks. Don't That's meet it. their spouse. It. It's, it's God. I mean, you might. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You're going to meet God there. That. It's a great so time. So just be there. Sign up today. Talk to me. I'd love for you to be there. Yes, All right. me too. Okay. Let's go. Back in. So Back. we got engaged and then went home. On the way home, I got a text from my boss saying, hey, COVID's gotten kind of bad, so we're shutting down the office for a couple weeks. And I was like, this is the best day ever. Let's like, go. I just got engaged. I'm going to be home with my fiance now. Like, we can, like, hang out more and, like, plan our wedding. This is going to be a great time. I'm going to take a few naps. I was so excited. But then, a week later, Carson's family encountered COVID. <laughs> and my parents really freaked out. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, mom and I- dad, I love you. And I forgive you for this. But they freaked out. And they were like, yeah, you guys can't see each other. Like, you can't do it. Devastating. Yeah, it was devastating. So I grew up going to Liberty Square, and that church, like, made, like, national news because there was, like, a COVID outbreak there, and it was fine. But I was on staff at a different church. So, like, I didn't work there. I just grew up there. And my parents were like, we came in. I'm not even sure I was coming in contact with my parents, but they are like, you can't see your uh, now fiancé anymore. And I was like, what are we doing here? What's going on? It was devastating, you guys. I reverted back to my high school like self. Teen angst. Yeah, teen angst. Very sad, very upset. I was telling them first service. It's kind of like that movie, The Notebook. If you've seen that, like we were mailing each other letters every day. It was very dramatic. So romantic, honestly. <laughs> so romantic. Um, so needless to say, there was a lot of conflict, a lot of frustration. That like really fun hey, time turned into... In first service, she was like, there was conflict. She like pointed at me. There was conflict. <laughs> There was conflict. So, you know, it was a hard time. It went from being this fun experience to being like, all right, I'm ready for quarantine to be over. This is not fun. Um, So, and most families that I talked to at the time, 
agreed that after a few weeks, we were ready to be out of our homes. We were stir crazy, especially parents of kids, right? Especially young kids being quarantined in a house with your little ones where they're bored 24-7 and you are the one to entertain them. They were like, we are ready for this to end. So it was a rough time, right? We were in the boat at that point, and that was a rough time. But um, the Ark Encounter estimates that there are between 1,500 and 7,000 animals on board the Ark, okay? That's a pretty big discrepancy. They aren't sure which animals were extinct or not at the time, so they're not really sure. But even 1,500 is a lot of animals. 1,500 is a lot of animals. A lot of animals. And so Noah was told to bring a pair of each, so two, of each unclean animal, But what maybe is talked about a little bit less is that he also brought seven pairs, so that's 14 of the clean animals, because the clean animals were what they sacrificed to the Lord, right? And then you could eat them. Yeah, yeah, and you could eat them. And then seven pairs, or 14 more, of every kind of bird. So that's a lot of animals that are all on board, just like flying around the ark. Um, And I have a comparison picture we can put on the screen. And I want to say, we worked really hard (laughs) to get that Alabama logo off there. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I don't even have an affiliation. I was just hoping for something different. My photo, I'd said this was David, for David Hyman. So there you go. There it is, Alabama. There it is. So, the, so um, that's the comparison picture. So there's lots of things, airplanes and boats and stuff like, I mean, not boats. Well, that's the boat. That's the ark, the house. But they say, scholars say that the ark was probably about the size of a football field and a half. So pretty long, pretty large. Um, but also... Has anyone ever been to the Atlanta Zoo? Just like quick raise of hands. Yeah. Go. So some of you guys, it's pretty big, right? There's, there's a lot of animals there. Well, guess what? There's 1,500 animals at the Atlanta Zoo. So that's the same of, uh, of the amount, the minimum amount of animals that was on the ark, 1,500. So that's like taking the whole Atlanta Zoo, all of those animals, putting it on the Alabama football field, okay? And then you and like seven of your family members getting on that field, putting some walls, little top on, and then also you got to have room for, like, food and supplies for a whole year. Who's signing up? I mean. <laughs> yeah, who wants to join us for that? Let's go. That sounds fun. So, <laughs> like, we were quarantined for three to four months, right? And we were about ready some to lose our minds. Some of you quarantined for three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of us Some were. of us quarantined for two years. I mean, I'm, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a gap. There's a gap. There's a gap for sure. But about three to four months. This is a year that they were on a boat with this many animals like, with it like this, and I'm just thinking, like, I think like a kid's pastor, so I'm thinking, like, what did it smell like? Like, what did it sound like? How did they sleep at night? Like, I don't know, and then also, I'm just saying, this is gross, but this is just what I'm thinking. Like, a year of animals on board this ark, okay? Where is the poop going? They've been pooping for a year. Like, are they, like, dumping it over the side of the boat? I don't know. It's just, this is just a lot for me, but we look at this story. We read God's word, And we're not really thinking all of this, right? Like we read it and we see the goodness and the grace of God. We see how God loved Noah, how God honored Noah's obedience to God. And he honored him so much that he recognized Noah amidst the sinful generation. And he also allowed him to take his family with him. Like his family wasn't necessarily living a super faithful and obedient life that we know of in scripture, but God loved Noah And he allowed him to bring his family with him. And so God was so good to Noah. And and that's what we see now looking back. Um, But we also know that in the moments on the boat, okay, month three, 
day 11, probably, like, they probably were, for, they were probably forgetting some of the goodness. Like, it probably got to the point where they were so frustrated, so doubtful, you know, angry, sad, isolated. Like, there were moments where they forgot the goodness of God. I just know that that has to be true. But they still trusted, even in the hardship, when life on the boat was really hard, when they doubted, when they were afraid, when they weren't sure what the outcome was going to look like, I know that they still trusted and walked forward in obedience, believing that God was going to do something for him. And so in our culture of instant gratification, we'd like to think that if we make the right decisions or if we, you know, turn the right directions, that we're just going to end up in a life of happiness and comfort and ease. And like, unfortunately, that's just not reality, right? Um, Because then we're in the midst of really difficult times, like Noah and his family, we look around and we think, God, did we hear you wrong? Like, did we not actually hear you? Are we not following your leadership in our lives? Like, my life shouldn't look hard like this if I'm following God's direction. Well, that's not necessarily true, right? We see this in scripture over and over again that we have to go through hardship sometimes, that um, diamonds are formed through pressure, that things are purified through fire, that we are purified and become more like Jesus when we go through hardship too. And so we are allowed to feel anger, frustration, sadness, doubt, um, but we're all going to be on the boat at some point. Our obedience, if we're being faithful to God, we are going to end up where there's moments and times where we really question if we're doing the right thing, if we're in God's will. But let me tell you, you are. You just sometimes have to go through hardship. And so I want to offer this word of encouragement for anyone who feels like they're going through a rough season right now. You're not alone, and it's going to end. Life on the boat is not forever. No one his family do take a step outside of the boat, they end up, they're not on the boat forever. It may feel like forever, but it's going to end. And also, Noah wasn't alone. He had his family. And so we need each other. Um, if, you don't, if you're in a hard season and you don't have a community of people to build you up, to love on you, um, Noah had that. In the hard days, his family was there. Um, they were building each other up. And so we want that for you to join a G group, join a serving team, you know, serve with me or Carson or anyone else here. Like, we want to talk to you. We want to know you. We want to do life with you. And we want to help you. Like, if you're going through hardship, we need that too. We go through hardship too. Um, But we can all take a deep breath now. Y'all breathe in. Yeah. Breathe out. Yeah. The hardship's over. Oh, yeah. It's Mm -hmm. over. And now Noah's family, they take a step onto solid ground. For the first time in a year, they see sunshine, green grass, and then... Through obedience, we find rest. Yeah, through, through obedience, we find rest. Obedience, obedience brings rest. And just like she was talking about, maybe you find yourself in a season where it feels like you're on the boat. You feel like you're being obedient and you're wondering what God's doing through this scenario. And it, it really brings this idea out in Genesis 8.20 through 9.1. It's the end of the chapter, and God says this. It says, Noah built an altar to the Lord. He, he decided to worship, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered offerings to the Lord, burnt offerings, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and the Lord said, I will never again curse the ground because of man, because the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed 
Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God says a couple verses later, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But what I want to hone in on is those seasons, those seasons of seed time, harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day and night. We go through seasons as people. That's how God works. But God blessed Noah because of his obedience. But when you feel like you're on the boat, when you feel like it's rocking, when you feel like you can't hear God, stay obedient. Do all that God commanded you to do. This man that was named rest found it because he was obedient to God. And that's what this narrative is about, that a man who trusted in God with everything, who didn't lean on his own understanding, as, as Scripture says, he acknowledged God, and God gave him rest because of his obedience. So from the beginning of the fall, God, through his judgment, brings us rest. God is restoring, and we live in a restorative uh, narrative right now, right? Jesus came, and he came to restore everything. He came to establish his kingdom. He came here for us so that we can find rest, and he does it in a lot of different ways. So if you're looking for rest right now, the easiest one is, right, like the Ten Commandments. Jesus said, take the Sabbath, keep it holy. He says, take a day once a week and find rest. It was a command, and scholars have said that's the Ten Commandment we're most willing to break, right? Most of us aren't willing to uh, murder someone else, but we are willing to skip the rest that God commanded us to take. He provided for us to have that. He provided us rest through Christ, seasons of seed time and harvest, as it says. God wants to provide you rest, and you find that through obedience. You find peace through Christ who gives us this rest. And that's what we want to leave you with this morning. We've got some takeaways for you because in G Kids, we've got this big idea that she always paints the picture that kids can take home. And youth group, we always end with small groups. We hear a sermon and they try and sort out what I was talking about. They're like, what was that guy talking about up there? And hopefully their neighbor can help them. But we always do small groups after, right? And we have these takeaways for you this morning because um, not only is it in the first couple books of the Bible, but Jesus said we should walk and talk and know our faith and be able to share it with one another. That's why we do our small groups, so that they don't just hear information, but they can talk about it in community, that they can shoulder each other's burdens. We've got takeaways for you this morning. You're welcome. If you've got your phone stuff from your calculator, um, math problems she gave you earlier, um, or if you want to take a picture, snap a picture on your phone. Maybe you're at lunch. Maybe you're at, uh, with your family this week. Maybe you're with a, a coworker. Maybe you're with somebody who needs rest. And you can talk about that with them. You can talk about these questions of what does it look like to live and be with God, to live in a community that Jesus said he was establishing. So we'd love for you to talk about these things with one another. It's important that we can talk about our faith. It's important. You can't, you can't come here every morning and just hear people talk, right, and not live it out, right? That's not good. That's what James said was a, a fake faith, right? But the ability to talk about our faith and share it with one another is so valuable, not just outside of our community and telling people about God, but to be able to talk about your faith with one another that you can be encouraged. So we want to leave you with these takeaways. um, And then we'd love to pray with you guys before we wrap this up. Um, If you'll bow your heads. God, we thank you that we can gather together as a community. God, we don't want to take that for granted, that you 
do put people in our lives that we can share our lives with. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for rest. And we also thank you for obedience. It sounds like a negative word oftentimes, but we thank you that we can obey what you've called us to because, God, we do believe that you have what's best for us, that your will for us is better than what we would do for ourselves. I know I've seen it in my own life, but God, I pray that you'd open up our eyes to that this morning. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, especially when you're in the boat. So God, I pray that you would just bring to our mind, Lord, the fact that you have good plans for us and that we can rest in them. We can even rest on our Sabbath because we know that you are working. You do not sleep and you are establishing rest for us. God, we believe you for that this morning. God, we thank you for everything you're doing. We pray that you would just open up our eyes to see what you're doing this week. God, that we would tell somebody about our faith, people in our community and people that we wanna invite into our community of believers. God, that our faith, God, is what sets us apart, that we can obey because we have faith, that we can find rest because we have faith and we thank you for that. God, thank you for everyone in this room. I pray that we would walk um, in a way that glorifies you in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day and God bless.